So I'm looking forward to the day when uh, God will enable the bridge to have their own facilities and we can set the lights the way we want them and um, have adequate facilities for everybody, all ages, at the bridge. Um, the Eau Claire Children's Theater has a show right after we are done here today and the lights are set and um, so it's not perfect. This is a good venue for us, but not always perfect. Um, how many of you remember uh, the TV show called Fear Factor? You remember, some of you? That's, that's interesting. Um, Fear Factor aired from 2001 to 2006 on NBC. And uh, th then it was dropped, and then it came back in 2011, 2012, and then it was dropped, and then uh, MTV picked it up in 2017. I have never seen an episode. Um, usually, uh, the, the format of the show, and it changed quite often, Usually, teams competed for $50,000. They did crazy things, some scary things, embarrassing things. And, uh, you know, the winner would get $50,000. I read about one of those crazy times. It was for Halloween Fear Factor. And the contestants had to bob in a 50-gallon vat of cow's blood. Glad I've never seen the show. I didn't miss a thing. But that's just a reminder that fear is a powerful emotional response. Fear can warn us of danger to come and enable us to take action. Sometimes fear, though, actually paralyzes people and they can do nothing. When you think about fear, what are some of the things that you're afraid of? 51% of Americans say they don't like snakes, and I don't either. I, do, I am comfortable with garter snakes. I don't want to touch them, but I have a lot of experience with garter snakes in my lawn mowing career, uh, especially as a young person. 40% of Americans are afraid of public speaking. 36% are afraid of heights. And you get me up a little over second story height, and I'm pretty woozy. When I, when I go up on a, any kind of a tower, I'm hanging on real close to whatever is the strongest part. Um... 34% don't like to be in small, enclosed places. 27% are fearful of spiders and other insects. And that's what makes me a champion at home. It's good for our marriage that I'm good at something. 21% are afraid of needles and getting shots. And we almost didn't get married for that reason, because back in the olden days... You had to have a blood test before you got married, and that was quite a challenge uh, for one of us. 20% <laughs> are afraid of mice. I saved our marriage the first year with this one. And then 18% have a fear of flying in any aircraft. What, 
What are you afraid of? In Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, Jesus warned his followers of danger and also gave them instruction about fear. And first is the warning. And I don't even know if I can see this up here. Yeah, I can maybe see it. I'm going to read Luke chapter 12. We're going to look at the first three verses here as we begin. Uh, It says, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered, Jesus had really become popular by this time. Many thousands, so they were trampling on one another. Jesus began to speak, first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the, in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. And so, verses 1 through 3, hypocrisy is exposed. You remember in Luke chapter 11, especially as we came to the end of the chapter, Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees. He'd have been invited into a Pharisee's home. They began to ask him questions, and he didn't mince words. He spoke directly, and he called them on the carpet for their hypocritical lifestyles, how they focused on the external religious activities where they looked really good to other people. Uh, They even dressed to the hilt, and they had all of these practices that were not necessarily in the Bible at all, but they were just added to help them kind of show that they really had the perfect lifestyle. But their hearts were hard toward God. And Jesus exposed them um, face-to-face in those situations. Some of the religious leaders, this also came right before this in Luke chapter 11, when they saw Jesus performed miracles, they attributed to Satan himself. Here they were in the presence of Jesus Christ. They had the opportunity to to see God at work through these miracles, the presence of God at work. What do they think? satanic these are the leaders these are the ones who know the scriptures these are the ones who should have first been on the lookout for messiah and saying he's the one he's the one but they say he comes from satan so uh, jesus warns many thousands uh He spoke first to his disciples. So he's in a really large group. They're outside. They were in the house. Now they're outside. The group is really large. Jesus has healed many. He's had an impact. He's been teaching. There's this tension between Jesus and the Pharisees, and people want to see that. And Jesus comes out, huge crowd, and he just talks to his own disciples first. He's going to talk to the crowd a little bit later. He says, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. He just wants to say it like it is. Now, in the first century, yeast was a really essential part of their culture. And um, they understood that if you put yeast in dough, uh, it would make bread rise. And they had all kinds of occasions to have unleavened bread without yeast. So they were very clear about what was going on with yeast. And the idea of yeast is, is it pervades the dough entirely, brings change. And the danger here Jesus is warning about that like yeast, this hypocrisy can be pervasive and it can invade everyone. It can invade the entire nation. And that's exactly what's 
happened with the religious culture of the first century. Jesus warns his disciples about this because this can be a danger for followers of Jesus as well. Hypocrisy. I know you may know that the word hypocrite comes from the uh, ancient Greek and it, it, it's a, it, it refers to an actor, a play actor, uh, where they put on a mask and then they act out some character. But in the early acting, it was putting on a mask. And so um, the, these Pharisees have become hypocrites. They're putting on a mask so that people think they're one thing and actually on the inside there's something else. And that's, that's dangerous for Christ followers too because sometimes we want people to think we got it all together. We're really good, strong Christians. But maybe that's not really the case. Maybe on the inside we're really much different Jesus says, be on your guard. He's talking to his disciples. Verse uh, 2 and 3, he talks, to, he, uh, it talks about the exposure. He says, uh, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. And Jesus speaks of a coming day when there will be accountability. Uh, we could say it's judgment day. When everything will be held accountable before God. The secret life of the Pharisees will be exposed publicly. Everybody will see. Uh, but this won't be a day just about the Pharisees. It will be a day for all people. And all people will be exposed. He says, what you've said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. If you said something uh, away when, when nobody was around and people were asleep... What you have said will be heard in a public way before in the light. What you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. All aspects of the double life, things done in secret will be exposed. And you know what's going to be true for all of us, not just the Pharisees. What's been said in secret will one day be exposed. Gossip will be exposed. Use of pornography will be exposed one day. What's done in secret. Immoral relationships one day will be exposed before God. Secret affair. Lying will be exposed one day. Now, if you're a Christ follower, you know, you, you, you get this and you get, well, yeah, I, I was a sinner. I placed my faith in Christ. Now I'm forgiven. And yet Jesus wants us to continue to walk. And we're not perfect, but he wants us to walk in a way where we're living in the light. And we're okay with the exposure to Jesus. And yes, we, we fail and we sin and we fall down in our walk. And God has made a provision for us to get back up and to be forgiven, and to be cleansed, and to stay in the race. But there is a time coming. Cheating will be exposed. Abusive language will be exposed. Sexual abuse will be exposed. Emotional abuse will be exposed. Spiritual abuse will be exposed. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 5 reminds us of this, the words of the Apostle Paul. He says, Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart 
At that time, each will receive their praise from God. It'll be, there's a time for, for believers that it's coming. There'll be a time of rewards. And for believers, there's going to be a time where I think, included in that, I'm going to be disappointed for my own failure because I'm going to know what it is. And this is just for Christ followers, this passage right here. Um, God is going to bring to light anything done in darkness. Verses 4 through 7, fear factored. First, fear of evil in verse 4. Jesus is preparing his followers for the hard times that are coming. Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, he's talking to his disciples, his friends, do not be afraid of those who will kill the body and after that can do no more. What? What did Jesus just say? He said, don't be afraid of those who can kill me. I don't want to be killed. Jesus is preparing his followers for what is to come. Difficult times are coming. And he says, I want you to know something about fear. Here's what I don't want you to fear, and here's what I do want you to fear. Real danger is coming for his disciples. Jesus will be crucified in the coming days. And he will be buried, and he will rise again, and he will return to heaven, and that's going to be good. But guess what? The disciples are going to be alone. They're going to, they're going to be assigned to Jesus' mission without him on earth in the flesh. Jesus is preparing them. They're going to be persecuted and many of them will be executed. In fact, as far as we know, all of them were executed except the Apostle John. They were put to death because of their faith. Jesus is preparing them. Don't fear those who can kill the body. By the way, Jesus never promised that following him would be safe. Please don't raise your kids promising them that Jesus is going to keep them safe in every situation all of their lives. Now, I get a whole lot more safety and security and protection for walking with Jesus than not. And I get protection from the evil one. Um, don't fear the one who can kill the body. The Apostle Peter informs us of fear tactics that the enemy has in 1 Peter 5. He said, Peter says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And you know what? It's still happening today. We live in the most unusual place in the world, perhaps in all of history, for the safety we have as Christ followers. But that is not the case for believers around the world. What I want you to see in this passage is a fear tactic of the enemy. The enemy prowls around like, this is a metaphor, like a roaring lion. A lion doesn't go running around eating every animal in the jungle. The lion intimidates with his loud roar, and animals 
in fear turn away from him. And he has quite a bit of influence. The enemy can influence us when we cower away. We are never told to fear the devil, by the way. Never, never, never. We're told to resist him. Now, I, you know, I don't want to play around. You don't play around with the enemy. It's a real battle going on. And we have been given resources and instructions, and we've been given the Holy Spirit to enable us with the full armor of God to stand our ground. But that's no guarantee that someone won't lose their life for the sake of Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, don't fear the one who can kill the body. He talks about the fear of God in verse 5, but I will show you whom you should fear, he says. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you to fear him. Fear the one who made you. Fear the one who calls the shots about heaven and hell. Jesus is identifying the priority of fear. Don't fear the one that can destroy your body because the appropriate fear is to fear the one who has authority to cast anyone into hell. Only God has that authority. That is our priority when it comes to fear. One writer has said, proper fear of God casts out all fear. Fear the one who loves you. Fear the one who is holy and pure and totally just. Fear the one who is full of mercy. Fear the one who loves you and provides for you. That's the one you should fear. And, that's a, and that is not in anything negative. It, it is a, an excellent uh, place to be is to understand who he is and to be humbled in his presence on who I am. Uh, just like Isaiah in Isaiah 6, he just like melted to his boots. What I really mean is sandals. In the presence of the holy God, an amazing experience. That's what I picture in Philippians chapter 2 when it says that every knee will bow. I think I am just going to go prostrate. And it's going to be an amazing thing when Jesus comes and appears and every knee will bow on heaven and on earth. Fear the one. This whole concept of fear goes back to the Old Testament. And here's a couple of examples. In Proverbs chapter 7, verse 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord, proper understanding of who God is. He's, he's a creator. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-wise. This is the one we're called to serve. It is the fountain of... He's, this fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. That's where we, we, we connect with life. That's where uh, we connect with God. That's where we connect with an eternal spiritual life. Uh, the fear of the Lord. The second one, uh, Proverbs 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. 
turning a person from, the sna from snares of death. It's where we find the source of life, the source of physical life and spiritual life. And it keeps us from being cast into hell as well as just daily snares. Um, perfect love, verses 6 and 7. Now Jesus re reminds his disciples how much God cares about them. So, you know, he comes on about the fear, fear of those who are going to kill you. Uh, that would have set me back a ways. I want to talk about this, Lord. I didn't know about this. You know, what do you have in mind here? I'm not supposed to fear the one who can kill me. There's a lot of people who can kill me. Jesus wants them to fear the Lord. And then he talks about perfect love. Uh, verses 6 and 7. Are not uh, five sparrows sold for two, two pennies? Yeah. Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Sparrows are very small. They were insignificant and they were cheap. Some people ate them. Um, God cares about the sparrows. Even though they're insignificant, he's the one who created them. He wants us to know that. Verse 7, indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Think about this. God knows every time I shower and get before the mirror and comb my hair and I find hair coming out, he knows. He knows how many I have left. But that's not what this is about. Knowing the very hairs on your head is about he knows all the details of your life. He cares about everything going on in your life. Even little insignificant things. He cares. He loves you. He provides for you. Don't be afraid, Jesus says to his disciples. You are worth more than many sparrows. In fact, God loves you enough that he would send his one and only son. His most prized relationship he gave up. He sacrificed. He watched his own son suffer and die for you, for the hairs on your head, because he loved you. 1 John 4, 18 says this, there is no fear in love. When we understand God's love, there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. God never puts fear in our lives about things and events or people. Now, I realize that there's all kinds of reasons we have fear, and I'm not trying to say, boy, if, you have, if you're fearful, you're somehow an inadequate Christian. I'm not saying that. Fear is a response we get. We do have to decide how we're going to live with it. And we have a lot of coping things to handle fear. And God has given those things to us as we walk with him to enable us not to be controlled by fear. But perfect love casts out fear. As I walk with God, God can take fear away. And maybe I need it every day or 16 times a day, but God can take the fear away. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. God has a perfect love for you. 
Verses 8 through 10, we see uh, Jesus continues with faith approved. Question for you, is your faith approved by God? The final test is verses 8 and 9, and this is a test of faith. First, the test for heaven. Verse 8, Jesus says, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. The Son of Man is a term that Jesus used most often of himself. It's not like there are two people here. He's talking about uh, whoever acknowledges me before others, then I will also acknowledge you before the angels of God. And speaking of the angels of God, um, the angels of God are in a place, in heaven. That's where God is. That's where his angels are. And yes, they don't always have to stay in that location, but that's a reference. Angel, the place where the angels of God are is in heaven, and that's what Jesus is referring to here. The one who welcomes Jesus by faith will be welcomed by the angels of God in heaven one day. The one who embraces Jesus by faith will be welcomed by the Father. The one who trusts Jesus will be trusted in heaven. Jesus is saying, if you believe in me, if you understand who I am and why I have come, you will be saved from your sin. To acknowledge him. To say, Jesus, you're my Lord. Jesus, you're my Savior. There's also a test for hell in verse 9. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. Whoever disowns Jesus Christ, whoever rejects Jesus Christ, whoever refuses to place their faith in Jesus Christ will be disowned by heaven, by the Father. They will not be received by the angels in heaven. Uh, Jesus is pushing here. There's a choice, he's saying. It's a clear choice. In verse uh, 10, he talks about what we call the unpardonable sin. And this is uh, one of those uh, concepts that it's caused much consternation in the life of the church and um, a lot of confusion. And he says, first of all, in uh, verse uh, 10, and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Everyone who speaks against Jesus can be forgiven. So let's say you haven't placed your faith in Christ, but at some point you get it and you want to follow Christ, you want to trust Christ, you can be forgiven, even though you rejected him in the past. Okay, he's saying it can be forgiven. And you have to think about the first century where Jesus was on the scene and he's walking around and he's teaching and he's doing miracles and he's saying, behold, the kingdom of God is hand because he's the king. A lot of people just not sure about that. It's going to take some time to understand what he's doing here and what this means. Then he says in verse 10, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. There is one thing that will not be forgiven. 
And it's this one, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Well, what is that? This uh, primary application is to Jesus' audience. That's the first. And it's very unique to the first century. And it's very unique to that audience who was listening. And those Pharisees, go back to the Pharisees. There's more about this in the Gospel of Mark and in the Gospel of Matthew than there is in the Gospel of Luke. But this group of religious leaders had um, listened to Jesus. They heard about Jesus. They didn't like the competition he was bringing. And they saw his miracles, and they had to come up with explanations to explain it away. And so their conclusion was, he's from the devil. He's from the Satan. They got to see the Holy Spirit work miracles firsthand with Jesus Christ present. And God says, you're going to reject this. Your hearts are so hard. We're done. That's it. And there will be no forgiveness. And that's the first century. That doesn't exist in the same way today. I do think we have an application today. And it's really pretty general. I think the, the application today is, um, I think it's possible for a person to be exposed to the gospel and not be interested and refuse to it. And they refuse so much that there reaches a point that their hearts are so hard and they're beginning to be like those first century Pharisees that there's no, no, no turning point. There's no turning back. There's no change coming. And... Um, Basically, I think you, you got until your grave to commit the unpardonable sin. But I don't know when God says, enough is enough. He makes that call. One thing is clear in the Bible is the time of salvation is now. The time of salvation is today. Verses 11 and 12, and this closes our passage. The faithful are defended, and the faithful are the disciples. Jesus speaks of trials in verse 11. And, you know, that's what he's been doing. He's been preparing his disciples for what is to come, and there's nothing about it that will be easy. It's just interesting that in America today, we live in a time where we just have this view of Christianity, that I can have the good life in America and uh, be good Christians and God's going to take care of me and he's going to take, move, uh, remove my problems because that's what Christians get, right? That's not what's in the Bible. Verse 11, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. This too is one of those first century applications. That's where the primary application is. He's talking to the disciples. He's saying you when you're brought before the synagogues, Jesus is preparing his disciples for this future time. Jesus is going to return to heaven. Jesus is going to leave them on mission to go and make disciples of all nations. They're going to start in Jerusalem. They're afraid. Holy Spirit comes, enables them. Boldly they go out. And there are some mass conversion in Jerusalem. 3,000 get saved the first day. And they move out into the city, 
And they pick up some persecution and get thrown in jail. They just keep moving out and they face more persecution. More and more people come to faith in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul comes in. He's trying to shut the church down. He persecutes the church. He throws people in jail. And he stands there when Stephen is stoned to death. He's all for it. And then Paul comes to faith in Christ. He's one of those Pharisees, by the way. So he hadn't committed the unpardonable sin. And he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And what did he do? He got excited to share his faith. And he began to go from city to city sharing the good news. And people came to faith. And he just kept encountering persecution. So Jesus is saying, don't worry how you're going to defend yourself. I'm going to defend you. Don't worry about that. You're going to be arrested. You're going to be brought into public settings. You're going to be accused for, for speaking blasphemy and speaking falsely uh, about God. Don't worry. I will defend you. Reminder is John 16, 33. Jesus said this the night before his death. He said to his disciples, I've told you these things so that in me... You may have peace. In this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. He said, you can have peace. You may get thrown in jail. You may be beaten. You may be executed. And this, you can have peace. Guess what? This isn't all there is. Life isn't all about you and your comfort. It's about something bigger. It's about what Jesus has in mind. And he is instructing and preparing his followers. And, you know, this all applies to us as well, doesn't it? In this world, we're going to have trouble. Why do we think something else is going to happen where we're not going to have trouble? Why do we think good Christians shouldn't have trouble? You have a different Bible than I do. Verse 12, the support. Jesus said, don't worry, uh, you're going to have trouble. Uh, he says, uh, don't worry about what you're going to say I will, or how you will defend yourselves. Verse 12, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. God will give you the word. You're not going to have time to prepare a message. You're not going to have a time to write up a formal defense. You're just going to have to walk with God and trust me in those times. And the goal here isn't to preserve your life, by the way. The goal is to represent Jesus and to speak the truth and bring light into the darkness. And that's what Jesus is calling for. So in Luke 12, Jesus warns his disciples about hypocrisy. You know what? That's a warning for us too. Because we're not perfect people. And sometimes we have secrets, things that we're not proud of, things that are embarrassing. And I just want to make sure, I just want to, you know, if there's stuff you need to confess before God, do that. Ask God to search your heart. Be open and honest to Him. You can't hide. There may be even people in your life you need to be open and honest with as well. Don't live in the darkness. And Jesus instructs about fear. Things that we shouldn't fear ultimately, and one that we should fear ultimately 
the one who loves us, the one who is the author of life and gives us life, because this life is not all there is. This life, for me, has been great, but this is not all there is. I never became a Christian because I wanted to escape this world. Sometimes Christians get accused of that. When things are hard, they just, it's a way out. But it's just the truth. This life is not all there is. There's a better place prepared. Jesus um, is really clear. You have a choice. You're either for him or you're not. You're against him. And there are real dangerous consequences. And as we close today, I just want to take some time and and remind us of some of the things uh, that are just simple from the New Testament. Uh, I call it the good news, bad news. And there is good news and there is bad news for us. First, I want to start just reminding us about the bad news. The bad news is, number one, we are all sinners and fall short of God's standards. You know, most of us kind of know that. We're not perfect. We've made some mistakes. We've done some dumb, dumb things, things that we regret. And we've sinned. Uh, sin means to miss the mark. Um, God has standards, and sin means we didn't, we didn't measure up to his standards. There's only one, one person, one human that ever did, and his name is Jesus. And all of us fall short of God's standards. Um, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God are about his standards of perfection. We all, every person, everyone in this room, every person in the world, we are all in that same boat. It's not like, I'm a better sinner than you. There's nothing in the Bible that ever says God cares whether you're a better sinner than another people, another person. You know, sometimes we think, well, I'm not as bad as that person. Good heavens, look what they did. At least I'm not that bad. That has zero value before God because we're all sinners. Well, the second thing is I like to remind us of... We all face consequences for our actions. We face consequences for our sin. God is a just God. And I need to be reminded that there are consequences for my sin. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death. You know, wages are uh, what we get paid for what we do. Assuming you have an employer who's perfectly just... When you get paid, the wages you receive are what you deserve. Now, there are wages that go with sin, and they're what we deserve as well. Consequences for our own sin is death. Now, that's not just physical death. Physical death is when the body is separated from the soul. It's when the physical goes into the ground, we bury In the grave, the body is there and it decays, but the soul is eternal and it lives forever. And and physical death is that separation. And it's so sad at the graveside to walk away knowing that corpse will be put in the ground 
or it cremated and it's no longer who it was. But spiritual death is separation when the soul is separated from God and it is eternal. And Jesus called it hell. And Jesus described it as a place of eternal punishment. There are several passages that talk about this. And Jesus didn't say this to cause to scare people. He's just communicating the truth and the reality and how important this is. Now, the last part of this verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is a gift, and we need the gift. And that's the good news. Thirdly, God provided the solution to our failure in sin. I can't do it. I can't provide my own solution. Uh, I'm already a sinner. I'm already in this category, and I cannot change it if, even if I was perfect the rest of my life. I couldn't change my failure, my, my separation. So God is the one who provided the solution to our failure, a solution that will change our destiny, a solution to overcome sin. He's given me a provision for the future. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is about God's love for, for you, for me. He loves us. He loves you. He loves all your family members, all your friends, even your enemies. He loves them. And he did something about sin. And he sent his son, Jesus. While we were sinners, it wasn't about how good we were. Christ died for us. Remember, the wages of sin is death. That's what sin leads to, death. So Jesus took death on, and he took my death on himself, and he took your death on himself, the one that you deserved and the one that I deserved, and he stood in our place, and he paid for it all. In fact, he paid for the sins of the entire world. But you know what? It doesn't benefit anyone unless we come to Jesus on his terms. Just because it happened doesn't mean everybody benefits from it. And the fourth one is that God invites us to begin a personal relationship and a fresh start with him. God gives us an invitation. He doesn't force himself on us. He gives us a choice what we will do with Jesus Christ. It includes forgiveness of all our sins. God wants us to have a clean slate. You know what? I remember very clearly, 44 years ago yesterday, I placed my faith in Christ. I remember very clearly what it was like to have a clean slate and to feel inside what it means to have a fresh start with God and to think about that junk that I was so embarrassed about and disappointed with myself about forgiven. New start. God wants us to experience forgiveness for all of our sins. It includes our citizenship in heaven for eternity. 
When you begin a relationship with God, you connect with God in a spiritual level, and it includes heaven as your home, citizenship in heaven. And the Bible actually uses those words, citizenship. And there are many other things that are included in that. The third thing I want to mention, it includes God's help every day to live in a way that honors him. You know, when I placed my faith in Jesus 44 years ago, not only did he clean my slate, but he was there with me, helping me to live in a way that honors him. And so I could ask for help, and he gave it to me, and I, I experienced his strength to overcome temptation. It wasn't perfect, but it was real. He, um, I remember Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I learned that right away, and it was so true. I can do the things God wants me to do because he can strengthen me. I can't do it on myself. And so here's the invitation. John 3.16, the best known verse in all the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loves you. And he loves me. I don't know why he loves me. It's not about do you feel worthy. Some of you do, some of you don't. God so loves you that he gave his one and only son. God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. That's, what, that's why he sent his son. And then this uh, invitation, whoever believes in him, whoever. It's for you. It's for me. I put my name in there 44 years ago. And I made it personal. I responded back to him. And that's what responding in faith is. You responding to Jesus. It's not your parents responding to Jesus or the church responding to Jesus. It's for you. Because he cares for every hair on your head. And he cares enough that he would die for you to give you this opportunity. It's about trusting Jesus. It's a decision you can make today. It's about believing that Jesus is who he says he is. That he died on the cross for you. That he uh, was buried, that he was raised again. And the amazing thing is, Jesus is in heaven right now, and he's alive and well. And that's what makes all the difference. He has overcome death. And he wants every person to have the opportunity to respond. You know, I know uh, many people in this room have made this decision before. But I want to give anyone here who has not made that decision an opportunity today to place their faith in Jesus Christ. One way you can express your faith is simply through prayer. If you're a follower of Christ, I want you to pray for me and for this time. If you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to listen carefully. I want to say a prayer. I want you to think about whether the prayer could be yours, because it needs to be from your heart and personal. And then I'll say it a second time, just so it's clear and you can pray it with me the second time. And you can make it your own. And you can pray silently, just right where you're sitting. Okay? So, here's the prayer. Just listen. Everybody looking at me. Here's the prayer. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. You know, can, can you make that yours? Can, can, you, can you agree with that? Thank you that Jesus Christ died for my sins. He died for me, paid for my sin penalty. I trust Jesus right now 
to forgive me, to give me eternal life. And I ask him to help me to become the person he wants me to be. It can be that simple. It's not magical. It's just you talking to God. And I'm suggesting a prayer that you can make. Okay? So let's all now just bow our heads. Bow our heads before God. And um, I want to, if that prayer really made sense to you and you're not sure about where you stand with God, if you're not sure your sins are forgiven, you're not sure that heaven will be your home, I want you to consider praying with me just privately from your heart. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. Thank you that Jesus Christ died for me, paid for my sin penalty. And I trust Jesus right now to forgive me of my sins and to give me eternal life. And Lord, I want to start fresh today. I want to ask God for your help to be the kind of person that you want me to be. If you prayed that with me, if everybody would just keep their head bowed. If you prayed along with me, would you just slip up your hand so I could see? If you prayed along with me, just go ahead, slip up your hand. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Father, I'm grateful for those who have um, prayed with me today to place their faith in Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that you will um, encourage them, that you'll give a sense to them of uh, your forgiveness and your presence and your desire to help them to become the person that you want them to be. And then, God, um, I just want to pray for all of us in this room. Some of us at times live like hypocrites. We have secret lives. We cover up things that are not covered in your eyes. May we be honest before you and honest before others. May we confess our sins. May we be humbled in your presence. God, I pray that you will um, help us with fear. Help us to grow in our appreciation for who you are, how uh, awesome you are, how powerful you are, that you are full of justice, you are holy. Help us to perceive the day that we come before you. that we can just be ready and see it as a joyful day, not be embarrassed, to live in the light and to walk in the light. Help us to be the people you want us to be. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen.